0: Uh, You're there in 1 Samuel chapter 6. I'd like you to flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you would not mind. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I'd like you to look down at at verse number 1. In 1 Samuel 6, you actually read the first part of this story that kind of continues here in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I want to just, by way of introduction, just kind of give you a real quick Bible study regarding this specific story and then I'm going to give you uh, some, some practical applications from this story. But just to catch you up on the story here uh, of what's happening here in Second Samuel chapter 6, if you look at verse 1, the Bible says again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bailey of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God. And I want you to notice that this is what the story is about. It is about uh, the transportation of the Ark of God. And what David is doing here is a good thing. He wants to bring up the Ark of God, uh, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, that dwelleth between the cherubims. Notice there verse 3. And they set the Ark of God upon a new cart. Uh, And again, I just want you to notice that the main emphasis of the story has to do with the transportation of the Ark. And if you're not familiar with the Ark, uh, known in the Bible as the Ark of the Covenant, this was a piece of furniture, a very precious, holy piece of furniture that in the temple or in the tabernacle represented the presence of God. And the children of Israel, we read about it there in 1 Samuel chapter 6, had actually lost the Ark of the Covenant as a result of a war with the Philistines, and there was all sorts of different things that happened with the Ark while with the Philistines. But the Philistines have now sent the Ark back, and it's just kind of been uh, waiting at this certain location. And David the king of Israel gets it upon his heart that the ark needs to be brought back to its proper location. Look look at verse 3 again. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Azzah and Ahio, the son of Abinadab, drave the new cart. Look down at verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Azza put forth his hand uh, to the ark of God and took hold of it. Notice the last part of verse 6. For the oxen shook it. I want you to get this picture in your story. We have the Ark of God, which is the most valuable piece of furniture for the nation of Israel. It represents the presence of God. It's what was held in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. It's what led the children of Israel through the wilderness and through the promised land. And this ark has been lost. It's now been returned. They want to bring it back to its proper place. They put it on a cart and they begin to head in that direction. But as they're going down the road, the Bible says in verse 6 that the oxen shook it because the oxen shook it and because it seemed like the ark of God, the most precious, most holy most uh, uh, important uh, uh, piece of furniture for the nation because it seemed like it might fall. The Bible says there in verse 6 that this man, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. I want you to notice that Uzzah he, he puts his hand out to stabilize the ark, to keep it from falling. And, you know, I, I wrote in, in my notes, his heart was in the right place, but his hand was not. And he put his hand out to take hold of the ark. Notice verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Azza. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. This is a pretty serious offense. God was so angry that Azza would reach out his hand to touch the ark that the Bible says that right then and there, God smote him and God killed him. God took his life for his error. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, or if you have not really heard the story in the past, this might seem a little confusing to you. You might wonder why it is that God would take the life of this man, Azza, when he was obviously trying to do a good thing. He was trying to keep the ark from falling. His heart was in the right place when he chose to reach out his hand, and touch the ark. This might seem odd to you if you're not familiar with the story. But what I want you to understand that within the story, there is a context that is already uh, uh, understood by God, or God has this thought in the story that you should already know. Uh, uh, something from the Word of God. Now, you here this morning may or may not know it, so I'd like to share it with you. Like I said, by way of, uh, of introduction, keep your place there in Second Samuel chapter six. That's going to be our text for this morning. But go back with me, if you would, to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter four. Keep your place in Second Samuel. If you start at the beginning of the Bible, you have the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter four. Let me say this to the Verity uh, Baptist Church family that's here this morning. I realize that you've heard this sermon before. You probably don't remember it, so that's fine. And even if you do remember, you probably need to hear it twice anyway, so we're just going to go with it, all right? Numbers chapter 4. Here's what's missing in the story. If you read the story and you don't... Understand it, or you kind of scratch your head and you think, "Why did God get so mad? Why was God so upset? Why did God take the life of this man Uzzah?" What's missing in the story, and what God kind of assumes is that by the time you're reading Second uh, Samuel chapter six, he assumes that you've already read uh, Numbers chapter four, because God wants every Christian to read the Bible cover to cover. He wants every Christian to wake up every day and open up the Word of God and read it. So God assumes that you already have read Numbers chapter 4 before you've gotten to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and He assumes that you would why it is that he took the life of Uzzah. But let me share it with you or show it to you here in Numbers chapter 4. Now in Numbers chapter 4, we have the children of Israel. We're actually studying through the book of Numbers on Sunday night uh, at our church in Sacramento. And if, if, you, if you're familiar with the book of Numbers, especially the first 11 chapters, you know that the 11 chapters at the beginning of the book of Numbers have to do with the children of Israel getting ready to journey through the wilderness. They're getting ready to begin their, their journey through the wilderness to the promised land. Of course, the book of Numbers uh, tells us that many things went wrong and they ended up uh, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as a result of their unbelief and sin. But in in chapter 4, we're still in that preparation stage where they're getting ready to go. Look at verse 15. Numbers chapter 4 and verse 15. And when Aaron and his sons had made an end of covering the sanctuary... And all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward, after that, the sons of Kohath, the sons of Kohath are one of the three families that makes up the tribe of Levi. And the Bible says here that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. It was the job of the sons of Kohath of the tribe of Levi, notice, to bear it. To bear what? To bear the ark. It was their job to physically carry the ark. They were to bear it. Notice what it says there, verse 15, but they shall not touch any holy thing. You say, well, why does God tell them, hey, you are to bear it? He says, I want you to cover it Uh, there, verse 15, uh, and when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the, uh, the sanctuary, he says, I want you to cover it and then you're going to bear it, you're going to pick it up, and they would literally put uh, poles on either side of the ark, and they would pick it up and hold it on their shoulders as they walked and bore it uh, through the desert. And he tells them specifically, they shall not touch any holy thing. Notice there, verse 15, lest they die. These things are burdensome of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. Look at verse 18, same chapter. Numbers 4, verse 18. He says, Cut ye not off the tribe of the family of the Kohathites. That's a biblical way of God telling Moses, Don't kill the Kohathites from among the Levites. Look at verse 19. But thus do unto them, that they may live and not die. When they approach unto the most holy things, Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them every one of his services and to his burdens. Verse 20, but they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered. Notice the words again, lest they die. God gave instructions in the book of Numbers, and He gave specific instructions as to how the furniture of the uh, uh, of the sanctuary was to be transported. He said it was supposed to be carried. It was supposed to be uh, 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 something that the Kohathites would uh, bear it on their shoulders, and they were to cover it. They weren't even to look at it. They were definitely not to touch it. And God said, make sure they don't touch it lest they die, that they may live and not die. See, all the way in the book of Numbers, God already gave the instructions as to how they were to transport the ark, and that no one under any circumstance was supposed to touch it. Go to First Chronicles chapter 15. Uh, you're there in Numbers. You can lose your place in Numbers. Continue to keep your place in 2 Samuel if you would. And then go to First Chronicles chapter 15. If you have your place in Second Samuel, after 2 Samuel you have 1 and 2 Kings and then you have 1 Chronicles. Second Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and then 1 Chronicles. Do me a favor. Keep your place in 1 Chronicles as well. We're going to go back and forth between Second Samuel chapter 6 and 1 Chronicles chapter 15. So make sure you can get there. But I want you to notice... In 1 Chronicles 15, we have what's known as a parallel passage. It is a parallel account of the same story. The same story we read of in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we read of in 1 Chronicles 15. But in 1 Chronicles 15, we have it told in a different way, and we're giving different details, and we can compare these stories together and learn some things. I want you to notice in 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 13, the Bible says this. This is what David said at the end of this story. So, David decides to transport the ark. He decides to put it on a cart. As they're traveling down the road with the ark, the oxen stumble. The ark looks like it's going to fall. This is the most valuable piece of furniture in the nation of Israel, the most holy artifact that literally represents the presence of God. A man by the name of Azza, whose heart was in the right place, but hand was in the wrong place, chose to touch the ark, to stabilize it, to keep it from falling. But hundreds of years later, God had already told the children of Israel how it is that they were to transport the ark and specifically that no one was to touch it lest they die. So when Uzzah touches the ark, the Bible tells us that the anger of the Lord is kindled against Uzzah and he kills him right then and there. At the end of the story, we'll, we'll get to it, David figures out what they did wrong and he does it right. He gets the ark to where it's supposed to be but here's David's comments or commentary on this episode. 1 Chronicles 15:13. He says, For because, and he's talking to the Levites who are supposed to transport the ark. He says, For because ye did it not at the first. He said, Because we didn't have you, the Levites, transport the ark, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him and i want you to notice this little phrase and i just love this little phrase he says for we sought him not after the due order now i want you to notice that the emphasis of the story is this that it's not just enough to seek after god it's not just enough to try to do the right thing i think all of us could agree that david was trying to do a good thing Azza was trying to do a good thing. All of them were seeking after God. They're trying to bring the ark of God back to its proper location. They were all doing a good thing, but they did not seek God after the due order. See, the Bible teaches that it's not just enough to do the right thing, but that we must do the right thing the right way. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of doing things the right way. I'd like to give you seven statements from this story, seven principles from this story to help you in your life when you are attempting to maybe do something, and, and, and hopefully it's a good thing that you are uh, not only doing it, uh, doing the right thing, but that you are doing it the right way. Keep your place there in First Chronicles 15. Go back to Second Samuel chapter 6 if you were, if you would. I'd like to give you seven statements this morning. And like Pastor Bozarnski, uh, uh announced, there's a place in your course or, or in your bulletin on the back for you to be able to uh, take some notes. And I would encourage you to maybe jot these down. And I, I want to say this: that the reason I'm preaching this sermon, or and, or or what inspired me to want to preach this sermon this weekend, I thought I was coming to a, a wedding for Brother Garrett and Miss Maddie. And what inspired me is that, you know, this Friday, Brother Garrett Pozarski, and Ms. Maddie, uh, uh were married um, in holy matrimony. They were united in holy matrimony. And, you know, when I think of this young couple, I think of here's a young couple who did a good thing, but more, more than that, they've done it in the right way. Amen. You know, and, and of course, we're all sinners and no one's perfect. Uh, uh, but, but here you have an example of a young couple uh, that I think every young person that's not married in this uh, in this uh, in this building should look at them as an example of someone who not only did a good thing, but they did it in a right way. Yeah. They did it in a proper way. They did it in a in a way that their parents could be proud of, that their that their pastor could be proud of, that a, a former pastor could be proud of. And, and and when I when I think of this weekend, I think of 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 of, of, yo- of these two young people uh, just doing things, doing the right things, but not just doing the right thing, doing it in the right way. So I'd like to speak to you this morning on this subject, doing the right things in the right way, and I'd like to give you seven statements. Notice there, if you can go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, I can notice verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1, let's dissect the story and learn some things from it together this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says this, again, David gathered together. Now we're going back to the beginning of the story, all right? So let's look at the things that were done and the failures that took place that brought us to this place where this man, Uzzah, uh, lost his life. In verse 1, the Bible says, again, David gathered together, I want you to notice this word, all. David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel. Now, when the Bible says here that David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, this is not uh, an exaggeration. He really did gather together all the chosen men of Israel. Notice in the next phrase we're told how many of these men he gathered together. The Bible says 30,000. I don't know if you can really comprehend uh, the, what, what 30,000 people would look like, uh, in, in, uh, uh, but that's a big number. I mean, have you, have you ever gone to... I don't know, the San Francisco Giants game, the, the, the arena they have there in San Francisco, I, I think that holds 15,000. So think of that arena full times two. That's how many people David gathered. So when the Bible says that David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, he, 30,000, he gathered a lot of people. He, I'm sure he did gather all the chosen men of Israel. Look at verse 2. And David arose and went, notice, with all the people. So a lot of people. It's not David and three guys. It's David and 30,000 men. He went with all the people that were with him from Bailey of Judah. And what did he go to do? To bring up from thence the ark of God. This is a good thing. By the way, this is what God wanted. God wanted the ark to come back to the children of Israel. And he wanted it back in the sanctuary. He goes to do a good thing. And he goes to do it with a lot of people. All the chosen men of Israel thirty thousand. He went with all the people. Keep your place there. Second Samuel chapter six. Flip back to first Chronicles. Not chapter fifteen, but go to chapter thirteen. First Chronicles chapter thirteen. And the story takes place over a period of chapters uh, chapter thirteen and fifteen in first Chronicles. Notice first Chronicles chapter thirteen and verse one. Notice the emphasis here. First Chronicles thirteen and verse one. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader. want don't you notice, David was not doing this on his own. He didn't just decide one day, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to ask for counsel. I'm not going to ask anybody else. No, no, no. He consulted with captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader. And by the way, let me say this. The Bible says that in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. So it's a good thing to try to get advice from other people and counsel and, and, and try to get a second opinion. All these things were a good thing. Look at verse 2. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you. He gathered 30,000 men. He's looking at these men and he says, hey, what do you guys think about this? If it seem good unto you that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren. Everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that we may gather themselves, uh, that they may gather themselves unto us. Notice the emphasis is a big group. They're gathering themselves. He's talking to 30,000 men, and he says, Let's go uh, find our brethren everywhere, all the priests, all the Levites, that they may gather themselves unto us. Verse 3, and let us bring again the ark of God to us, for we inquired not at it at the days of Saul. And notice again the emphasis, verse 4, all the congregation said that they would do so. Notice the emphasis, verse 4, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. I want you to notice that when David set out to do this, David set out to go bring the ark, Put it on a a cart. Bring it to uh, uh, its proper location. And when uh, a man by the name of Azza, when he lost his life as a result of these actions, it was not David on his own, but David and everyone else agreed with him. Everyone else thought, this is a good idea. Everyone else said, the thing was right. The Bible says, the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. But it was wrong in the eyes of God. Here's statement number one, if you'd like to write these down. When it comes to doing things the right way, here's statement number one. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Make sure God agrees with you. It doesn't matter how many people are telling you, yeah, I think that's a good idea. It doesn't matter how many friends, how many co-workers... How many of your girlfriends are telling you, yeah, leave him. Go ahead and just get a divorce. It doesn't matter how many people are telling you that something is a good idea because the way that we should make decisions is this. Not by how many people agree with you, but does God agree with you? Amen. And though it is wise to ask for counsel, and it is wise to ask people, and, 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 the right, and by the way, let me say this, you ought to ask the right people. Ask your friends that have all been divorced three times whether or not you should work on your marriage. Okay? Why don't you ask somebody that has been married? Why don't you ask somebody like Pastor Brzezanski and Miss Heidi who've been married for a long time. They have a happy marriage. They've raised some godly children. Hey, ask him what you think. So it, there's no wrong with asking for counsel. But make sure you're asking the right people. And at the end of the day, even if everyone else tells you it's right, it doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Make sure that God agrees with you. Here's what the Bible says. You don't have to turn to these passages. In fact, you go back to 2 Samuel if you would. Let me just read these verses for you. Exodus 23.2 says this, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Judges 17.6 says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. That is a reference to leadership. There was no leadership. You know, here at, at, at Whole Fast Baptist Church, you have a pastor, you have a leader. And when you bypass your God-given authority and your leader, the Bible says there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Proverbs 16.25 says this, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we need to get it down. Look. I don't know what you are doing in life or where you are in life. I know this, that if you're not making a decision right now, you will come to a point in your life where you have to make a decision and you may even be trying to do the right thing, but you've got to decide in your mind and your heart that it does not matter how many people agree with you. It doesn't matter how many of your Facebook friends are telling you, yeah, do that. Yeah, go there. Yeah, take that job that's going to pull you away from church or marry that person that's not saved and not living for God. Or go ahead and get a divorce. You deserve better. Or whatever advice it is. It doesn't matter how many people are agreeing with what you want to do. You've got to decide and you've got to make sure and you've got to seek whether God agrees with you. What does God think of the matter? Because the truth is this. Most people are wrong. Most people are incorrect. I remember as a young boy, my dad giving my brother and I instructions, and he would reference Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. You don't have to turn there. The Bible says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. I remember my dad as a, young, uh, as a young boy teaching us and telling us, look, if you're ever not sure what's right or what's wrong, if you're ever not sure what decision you should or shouldn't make, if you're, never, if you're ever not sure uh, what, what's the right thing to do, just know this, by and large, what most people are doing is wrong. Right. So when most people... Are when a multitude is running to drink or smoke or fornicate or do this or do that. Look, just realize, by and large, what most people are doing is wrong. Because broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. So here's statement number one for you. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Make sure God agrees with you. Now it's wise to get counsel. It's wise to get advice. It's wise to try to ask godly people and serious people and and, and people that are succeeding in life for some advice. But before you even go there, before you go and try to get, because look, here's the truth. You can find someone to agree with you. No matter what decision you're trying to make. You can find, that's why I'm against the Bible of the month club where people want to, well, I'll read the King James and I'll read the ESV and I'll read the NIV. And a lot of times what people are doing is they're just trying to find a Bible version that agrees with them. Yes, right. Or skipping around from this church to that church. And, oh, let me ask this pastor and that pastor, why? Because they're just trying to find the pastor going to agree with them. Look, the truth is this. Whatever decision you want to make, whatever choice you want to make, you can find enough people to agree with you. But you need to realize that it does not matter how many people agree with you. You must make sure, and we must always make sure, that God agrees with you. And by the way, let me say this. If God agrees with you, it doesn't matter how many people disagree with you. If God before us, who can be against us? So statement number one, it doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Make sure God agrees with you. Here's statement number two. And I'd like you to notice that there in 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 2. The Bible says this, and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bailey of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart. They set the ark of God upon a new cart. And when I read that, I I, I have to ask this question. And you need to ask this question. Where did they get this idea from? Where did this idea of using a cart to transport the ark, where did it come from? Because again, if you've read the book of Leviticus, if you've read the book of Numbers, if you've read the book of Deuteronomy, if you know anything about the history of the children of Israel, you, which David should know, which these 30,000 men should know, they should know that historically, throughout history, the ark has been born upon the shoulders of the Levites. This is something they should be aware of. They should know that the ark has always been carried by four Levites carried upon their shoulders. But here the Bible says that they set the ark of God upon a new cart. You got to ask the question, where do you get the idea for the new cart? Notice, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah and Azah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. We'll go back to 1 Samuel chapter 6. This is the passage... We read before the service. First Samuel chapter 6. And let me show you where they got the idea for the new cart. First Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1. First Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, let me just say this. The Philistines, bad guys. Enemies of the Lord. Heathen. Not godly people. Not God's people. And the Ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners saying, What shall we do to the Ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. And I don't have time to go through all the details, but when the Philistines... When the Philistines stole the Ark of God, they they conquered the children of Israel in battle, and they stole the Ark of God. They took it to humiliate the children of Israel because they knew that the Ark was special to them, and they took it as, as, as a treasure, or as bounty from the war. When they took the Ark of God, what they did was they placed it in front of the image or the statue of their god, Dagon. Next day they woke up, and Dagon... The statue of Dagon had fallen over and was fallen over almost, in a sense, worshiping the ark. They thought, hmm, that's odd. Wonder how that happened. Maybe we left the window open. A draft must have came in. Our God fell down. Let us help get our God up. (laughs) You know, if you have to help your God get up, you need a different God. So they pick him up, set him in front of the ark, go about the day. Go to bed. Wake up the next day. The, the Dagon, again, is fallen, prostrate, in front of the ark. But this time, his hands are cut off and his head is cut off. And they said, wait a minute. And then, I don't want to go into all the details, but the Bible says that God curses them and gives them all M-rods. That's the biblical term. I won't give you the modern term, but I'm sure you could figure it out. He gives them M-rods. And they'd say, we got to get rid of this thing. We don't want this thing around us anymore. Look at verse 7. Notice what the Philistines did. 1 Samuel 6, verse 7. Now, therefore, this is the Philistines speaking. They're saying, we got to get rid of the ark. They said, what shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us whether we shall send it to its place. Verse 7, they said, now, therefore, make a new cart. You know where David got the idea to put the ark on a cart? He got it from the Philistines. The Philistines said, "Let us therefore make a new cart and take two milch kine on which there hath come no yoke, and tie the kine to the cart and bring their calves home from them." They got God. Please understand this. God's people, the children of Israel, the. Testament saints, David, and the Levites, and the priests, they decided they were going to do a good thing. They decided they were going to bring the Ark of God back to the promised land, and back to its proper place, and back to its proper location. But they got an idea from the Philistines. They got an idea from the world as to how to do it. They said the Philistines transported it on an ark. So how about we make an ark? Here's statement number two for you. You're taking notes this morning. Statement number two. I said, number one, it doesn't matter how many people agree with you, make sure that God agrees with you. Here's statement number two. We shouldn't be looking for new methods from the world. We should stick to the old methods from God. We shouldn't be looking for new ideas from the world. Today, we are here celebrating the two-year anniversary of this church. Hold fast. Baptist church. And let me tell you why it is that a church like this is so unique, and a church like this is so important, and a church like this is so needed. And let me tell you something, if I lived in Fresno, or if I lived within driving distance of this church, this is the church that I would go to. You say, why? Just because your friends with Pastor Bizarin or just because you guys started this church? Well, no, I would say this, the reason that we even started this church is because today, Most churches are trying to do what anyone would consider is a good thing, but they're doing it in a very wrong way. They're doing it in a very worldly way. Today, the average liberal fun center Uh, uh, a type of church where you walk in and it feels like a casino and the service starts and it feels like a rock concert and the preaching starts and it's one verse and three stories and it's five minutes when you got an hour and a half rock concert you know what they're doing they're trying to do a quote-unquote good thing but they're using the new cart of the world they're trying to be as worldly as possible. They're trying to look like the world, feel like the world. They're trying to transport the Word of God upon the Philistines' new world. We don't need a new cart of the the new cart of the modern Bible versions. That's why a church like Hold Fast Baptist Church that stands on the King James Bible and says this is the Word of God. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is the Word of God. Hey, it's been good for 400 years. We don't need a new card. We don't need a new card of the modern Bible versions. Let me say, we don't need a new card of the contemporary Christian music. Right. We don't need a rock concert. We're supposed to be impressed today that these mega churches, we're supposed to be impressed that they have thousands of people that show up to their church service. And I'm supposed to be impressed like, like I'm supposed to be impressed with T.D. Jakes or Joe Osteen or something. And I think to myself, well, that's funny because rock bands have thousands of people show up for them every week. Yeah. There's nothing spiritual about it. There's nothing impressive about the fact that you've got a rock band to play music and people show up. You know what's impressive? When you stand up and you preach the Word of God and you sing the old hymns and you keep the lights on and you have a man of God behind the pulpit preaching the Word of God and anyone shows up and says, that's, hey, that's impressive. Yeah, that's good. We don't need the new cart of modern Bible versions. We don't need the new cart of contemporary Christian music. Hey, let me say this. We don't need the new cart of modern lifestyle evangelism. He so what do we need? We need what we did yesterday for, for several hours. We need soul winners to go out in the community and open their mouths boldly and make known the mystery of God. We need knocking on doors, preaching the gospel, confronting people with the gospel, Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, we don't need some new modern fad. We don't, we don't need to be dropping uh, flyers. We're, look, we're, we're not the United States Postal Service. We're supposed to be spirit-filled soul winners. I'm just telling you that today there are often those who are looking for the new methods from the world. They're looking for a new cart. They're trying to do a good thing, but they're doing it in the wrong way. And I submit to you this morning that we should stick to the old methods from the Word of God. We don't need drama teams. We need preaching. And by the way, you say, it does not just apply to church. Hey, forget about the new modern marriage. Stop stop reading all these books on marriage and and what the world tells you about marriage. Let me tell you something. Don't get any advice from the world regarding marriage. They don't even understand the basic principles that a man marries a woman. If they don't if they can't even get that right, get rid of their court. Stop taking their advice. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the husband should be the head of the home. And he should be spiritual, and he should love his wife. And and the Bible says that husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And the Bible doesn't teach that men should be abusive or abusing uh, their their role as, as, as leader because they should love their wife like Christ loved the church. That's a sacrificial love. But you know, the Bible also says that wives are to submit to their husbands. And I'm just telling you, for years and years and years and years and years in this country, when people understood what the Bible taught about marriage, we had people uh, that, that would be married and stay married. Amen. And I, 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 look, it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian or not. My, my wife, her, her grandparents were, were Catholics, and uh, she tried to get them saved, and, and, and we tried to get them saved. They, they never uh, got saved as far as we, we know, but they, they, but they were good people. And, you know, they're married, I don't even... Honey, how long were your grandparents married for? 57 years. That's unheard of today. Today, people are just, you know, they, 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 they come in and out of marriages like they come in and out of Ubers. I mean, it's, it's... Look, forget about the new card of marriage. Forget about the new card of child-rearing. This whole, oh, the psychology, and you got to put them on time. Just do what the Bible says. Let me tell you something. You do what the Bible says. You discipline your children like the Bible says. You invest in your children like the Bible says. You bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord like the Bible says. And you can have a weekend like two godly families had uh, this uh, last Friday where you can see a young man and a young lady walk down the aisle and do it right. Forget about the new cart of the world. We don't need the new cart. We should, be looking for a, we should not be looking for new methods from the world. We should just stick to what the Bible says in the old paths of the Bible. Amen. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Look at verse 4. Let me give you the third statement. 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 4. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was at Gibeah. This is where the ark landed when the Philistines brought it. Accompanying the ark of God and Ohio went before the ark. Look at verse 5, and David and all the house of Israel. I want you to notice this. They put the ark on a cart. They're doing a good thing, but they're doing it in the wrong way. They start to go down the road with the ark of God in the cart of the Philistines, doing exactly what God told them not to do. But I want you to notice, they're very happy. Look at verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cordets, and on cymbals. I want you to notice, and by the way, let me just say this. Sometimes people will get a little upset and they're like, well, should you be preaching against these megachurch?" I mean, they're worshiping God. They've got their music and they're they're just worshiping the Lord. Worshiping the Lord on Sunday morning when they were getting drunk on Saturday night. Worshiping the Lord on Sunday morning when they were fornicating on Saturday night. Let me tell you something, the Bible says that we should raise up hands unto the Lord, holy hands. Not hands that were just holding on to drugs the night before. And here these people are worshipping, I mean not happy. They're playing before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of wood, and even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and cymbals. They are happy. Here's statement number three for you. I said, number one, it doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Make sure God agrees with you. I said, number two, we should be looking for new methods from the world. We should stick to the old methods from God. Here's statement number three. Don't assume that God is pleased simply because you are. Don't assume that God is happy. That God is happy with you and happy with what you are doing simply because of whatever you happen to be doing is making you happy. Don't assume that God is pleased simply because you are. Because you know, sin can make you happy. I mean, Hebrews 11, you have to turn there. Verse 25 says about Moses choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You know that sin can make you happy. And living in sin can make you very pleased. And here's what people often say: They say, "Well, God, well, doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't God want me to be happy?" And 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 when someone says that to me, I ask the question. I want to ask them the question: What God are you talking about? What Bible are you reading? What Bible are you reading where the Bible says God wants you to be happy no matter what you just do, whatever destroy your life, destroy your marriage, destroy your children, destroy your testimony, just be happy? Where's that verse in the Bible? Because my Bible says, happy is the man that trusteth in the Lord. Amen. My Bible talks about the fact that you're happy and you're blessed when you're trusting God. Amen. But people say, like, well, this must be right. I'm so happy. I'm so pleased. Please understand something. Don't assume that God is pleased simply because you are. There is pleasure in sin for a season. Don't assume that just because whatever you're doing makes you happy and makes you pleased and you're playing before the Lord and worshiping before the Lord that somehow that makes God happy. Because you could be doing the wrong thing going down the wrong way but very happy about it. Yeah, I'm going to leave my wife, but I'm just so happy with this secretary I met at work. Don't assume that that God is pleased just because you are. It it, it feels so right. That doesn't matter. It feels so good. That doesn't matter. It's funny to me how people often want to spiritualize their bad decisions. In September, my wife and I will be celebrating 13 years uh, in ministry. We've been doing this for a long time. And it's always interesting to me how all sorts... It's always interesting to me how a young man will start dating a young lady and all of a sudden they get, they get super spiritual. It's like, the Lord is leading me in this direction. Some young lady starts dating some young guy and it's like the Lord is directing me, and I'm like, man, I, you know, I'm shocked how often God speaks through twenty-something-year-old young girls. I mean, I, I'm, I'm shocked how often the will of God is revealed through some twenty-something-year-old guy. You know, silly me, I thought the word of God was re- the, the will of God was revealed through the word of God. Silly me, I thought the will of God was revealed through the preaching of God's word. Through the counsel of the man of God. Through the preaching of the word of God. Silly me. God actually just reveals his will through whoever you happen to be interested. People often think if it feels good it must be right. No, there's pleasure in sin for a season. Don't assume that God is pleased simply because you are. Look, oftentimes, and this is why I'm so thankful for a couple like Brother Garrett and Miss Maddie to, 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 to marry right and do it right. And, and, and to because so often, look, as a pastor, so many times I'm the one saying, Don't do it, don't marry him, don't marry her. This is a big mistake. No, no, we're in love. Like, you don't know, you're stupid, you don't know what love is, you're an idiot. I don't want to be single for the rest of my life. There's worse things than being single. Like being married to him. I mean, usually I'm just like, don't do it. You don't want to do it. No, just wait. Give it a year. And people are like, it feels so good. Don't assume that God is pleased simply because you are. The funny thing is that three months later, I'm the one saying, don't divorce them. Don't divorce them. You made your choice. We can work it out. No, you were right, Pastor. Yeah, I know, but you did it anyway. (laughs) God can help you. Don't assume that God is pleased. Simply because you are. David played before the Lord. They were happy. They were like, this is great. We're bringing the ark of God. We're worshiping God. And God's up in heaven like this. Don't assume that that your happiness means God's happy. Don't assume that your pleasure means that God's pleased. The Bible says that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. Number four. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And sometimes people say to me like, I don't get it. You were trying to get us not to get married and now only three months have passed but now we're married and we're trying to get divorced and you're trying to keep us together and, and I don't understand. And, and of course you don't understand because you make your decisions based off how you feel. I make my decisions based on what the Bible says. Imagine, imagine. Don't, don't assume that God is pleased simply because you are. 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Azza put forth his hand. Look, I believe his heart was in the right place. But his hand was in the wrong place. Azza put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Azza. And God smote him there for his error. He was wrong. They were wrong. The whole thing was wrong. Azza should not put forth his hand to try to stabilize the ark. The ark should have not shaken because of the oxen. The ark should not have been on a cart. Verse 7, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Azza, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. I said, number one, it doesn't, make, doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Make sure God agrees with you. Number two, we shouldn't be looking for new methods from the world. We should, be, we should stick to the old methods from God. <clears throat> number three, don't assume <clears throat> that God is pleased simply because you are. Here's statement number four. Make sure that you not only do the right things, but that you do them r- the right way. See, here's the truth. It's good. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's good, but the Trevor lost his voice yesterday. Made me preach the gospel the entire day, so now I'm losing my voice. (laughs) I'm joking, brother Trevor. He brings me water out of guilt. Make sure that you not only do the right things, but that you do them the right way. You know, you can do the right thing the wrong way. And please understand something, especially you young people, listen to me. It's good to date, but you can definitely date in the wrong way. It's good to get married. Getting married is a good thing. The Bible says, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. It's a good thing to get married, but there's a right way to get married and there's a wrong way to get married. Having children is a good thing but there's a right way to have children there's a wrong way to have children. Do you understand what I just said? Children are a blessing. But when you're having children before you got married, that's the wrong way of having children. And look, if you're here this morning and that's you and you've done that, I'm not picking on you. We love you and God forgives sin and we want to help you raise those kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But we're also trying to keep some people from making some bad decisions. And people want to act after they had a child out of wedlock. Like, look, this is a blessing from God. And that child is a blessing. But what you did was not a blessing. Amen. It was not a blessing to that child. And you, can, and you can be forgiven and God can forgive you. You can move on and, 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 and you get around a good church like this church and get yourself around a man of God like this pastor and his wife and let them help you. But let me tell you something. You can do a good thing in a very wrong way. They were bringing the ark. That was good. How they were bringing the ark? Very bad. Make sure that you not only do the right things, but that you do them the right way. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 8. I want you to notice this verse. After God takes the life of Uzzah, you see there in verse 7, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died before the ark of God. That's a a way to stop a party. That's a way to be a party pooper. Verse 8. And David was displeased. I want you to notice the way that this is worded might be a little confusing to you. It might open it up for interpretation, but I want you to understand what I believe the heart of David was. The Bible says, and David was displeased. Because the Lord had made a breach upon Azza and called the name of the place perez Azza to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? I want you to notice that David was displeased. Because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. But I do not believe based off the rest of the story that when the Bible says that David was displeased that that he was like mad at God or upset with God, he was displeased that they did not do it the way that God wanted. He was displeased because the Lord had to make a breach upon Uzzah. And the Bible says, and here's the key, verse 9, And David... I want you to notice. From verse... From the beginning of this chapter... All the way up until verse 6. Because Azazah dies in verse 7. In verse 1 through 6. David is gathering his friends... Asking them what they think. They're saying this is a great idea. They're bringing an ark. Hey, I saw the Philistine. They had this nice ark. Maybe we should use that. They put an ark together. They put the, a cart together. They put the ark on the cart. They start going down the road. They start their worship service. They're praising the Lord. They're really pleased with themselves. And then God kills Uzzah. In verse 7, God kills Asa. In verse 8, David is displeased. And in verse 9... There's a major shift in the heart of David. There's a shift between verses 6 and verse 9 in the heart of David. I want you to notice it. Verse 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? You say, well, I understand why David was afraid of the Lord. Yeah, I I get that too. I understand why David was afraid of the Lord that day. But you know what would have been better? Better than David being afraid of the Lord that day, you know what would have been better? For David to have been afraid of the Lord the day before. You understand what I just said? See, David, once Azza dies, once they have this corpse lying by the side of the road, once they understood wait a minute, we're pleased, but God's not pleased, we're happy, but God's not happy, we're celebrating, but God's not celebrating, now we have this dead body, now we have this dead man, someone's going to have to go to his wife, and tell him that he's dead, somebody's going to have to go to his mother, and tell him that he's dead, somebody's going to have to go to his father, and tell him that he's dead, somebody's going to have to sit down his children, and tell them, daddy's not coming home. We're going to have to stop this thing and, and pick this body up and, and bury and 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 bury and put the body there. Someone's got to say some words. Now, the, God really kind of messed up our party here. And now David was afraid of the Lord, but he could have avoided all that if he would have just feared the Lord the day before. He said, "What do you mean?" Here's statement number five for you. It would be better. It's a little wordy, but I want you to listen to what I'm going to say to you. It would be better to make decisions based off fearing the Lord than to suffer the consequences that cause you to fear the Lord. Do you understand what I just said? It would be better. It would be better. Before you get in the back of that car before you return that phone call, before you drink that, smoke that, inject that, before you watch that, before you go there, hey, it would be better Before you make the decision you're going to make, it would be better to make that decision based off the fear of the Lord and and the fact that I want to honor God with my life. It would be better to make the decision before you make it based off the fear of the Lord than to suffer the consequences that cause you to fear the Lord. Because once you've had the accident with the DUI, once you're in the hospital paralyzed or your buddy's dead. Once your marriage is destroyed, once your children hate you, once you've wasted years and decades of your life, once you've reaped the consequences of the decisions you made, I promise you, you're going to fear the Lord then. And you know what? If that's what God has to do, if he has to deliver you unto Satan, that the flesh might be destroyed, but the spirit might be saved, then so be it. If God has to uh, humble you and God has to bring you down to bring you to the place where you fear God and you fear the Lord, then so be it. But you know, better than that would be to make the decisions before you make the decision based off fearing the Lord than to suffer the consequences that will cause you to fear the Lord. Amen. Because once is dead, David feared the Lord. But if David would have feared the Lord before, Azza would still be alive. Azza would have gone home to his wife, to his children, to his mother, to his father. Azza was an unintended consequence of the decisions that David made. Please understand this. You do not live on an island. Your decisions affect other people and it would be better to make decisions based off the fearing of the Lord than to suffer the consequences that cause you to fear the Lord. Right. Let me give you the sixth statement. 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 10. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. Yeah, I'm sure but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the Ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. By the way, let me say this. I'm not preaching on this, but let me just say it. The blessings of God are connected to the presence of God. You want to experience the blessings of God? Get close to God. You want to experience the blessings of God? Get close to God. Get as close to God as possible. Make God the priority. Look at verse 12. And it was told King David saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertain unto him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the house of David with gladness. David, get the story. As dies, David said, We need to stop. Let's take the ark and put it over here for now. But then David hears that that house is being blessed because the ark of God is there. He says, Okay, look, we got to bring the ark back. We want the blessing of God. The ark of God needs to be brought to its proper place. In verse 13, we have attempt number two. We have round two. David's going to try it again. Notice what happens in verse 13. And it was so that when they, notice the difference, bear the ark of the Lord. Now they're doing it right. Now they said, get rid of the cart. We need to do it the way God said to do it. We need the Levites. We need the Poles. We need them to carry the Ark on their shoulders. Look at verse 13. And it was so that when they bear the Ark of the Lord, uh, they that bear the Ark of the Lord, notice, had gone six paces. David's real nervous here. He says, okay, you you Levites, here's what we're going to do. You're going to bear the Ark of the Lord, just like the Bible says, but you're going to take six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then when you take six steps, we're going to stop. Notice it, verse 13. And it was so that when they, bear, they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. They took six steps, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. They took six steps, he took sacrifice, oxen and fatlings. Hey, let me say this. When you start doing things the right way, you don't, you're not in a rush. Oftentimes, the biggest mistakes that people make in their lives are mistakes that they made in a hurry. They made in a hurry. Let me tell you something. I often tell young people, look, if he's the will of God for your life today, he'll be the will of God for your life a year from now. Slow this thing down. Look, oftentimes people make bad decisions in a rush. But here we find David that he realized something's wrong. This is not what God wants. Go go to 1 Chronicles 15. First Chronicles 15. And, and especially you young people, because you, you young people are the ones that have not made mistakes or that have your life in front of you. You can go ahead and rush. I want to marry her! I want to marry him! It's like you're 16! But in this state, we could be emancipated. Just shut up. Why don't you wait? Why don't you wait till your mom and dad say, Yeah, her? Why don't you wait till your mom and dad say, Yeah, him? Why don't you wait till your pastor says, Yeah, that one, marry that one? Wait till then. Don't be in a rush. Don't, don't, don't go and make these major decisions. I'm going to move here. I'm going to move that person. I'm going to go there. And, and this is just, just in a hurry and a rush. Well, i got to do it now. You don't have to do anything now. We're Christians. This life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And then you're going to live all of eternity in heaven. Let me tell you something. You've got time. Amen. But here, David realized he'd done something wrong. Look at First Chronicles 15, verse 2. 1 Chronicles 15, verse 2. Then David said, and by the way, let me just say this. This is why that the marriage on Friday night was so beautiful. because you Not just because you have two beautiful young people walking down the aisle getting married, but you have two sets of parents on the other side saying, yes, we approve. Yes. Thank the Lord. answered to prayer. This is the right one. Notice 1 Chronicles 15, verse 2. Then David said, notice notice how David changes. Then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God, but the Levites. No court. None. None ought to carry the ark of God, but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. I said number one, it doesn't matter how many people agree with you, make sure God agrees with you. I said, number two, we shouldn't be looking for new methods from the world. We should stick to the old methods from God. I said, number three, don't assume that God is pleased simply because you are. Number four, make sure that you're not only doing the right things, but that you're doing them the right way. Number five, it would be better to make decisions based on fearing the Lord than to suffer the consequences that cause you to fear the Lord. Here's number six. When we find out that we are wrong, we should change when you start going down the road of life and you realize wait a minute i was wrong don't double down don't say well this is how i did it so i just gotta stick no no when david found out whoa we're doing something wrong here he said let's pause this thing let's figure out what we did wrong then he comes back and he says get rid of that cart not to carry the ark of god but the levites for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God. The Levites begin to bear the ark on their shoulders. And you know what David did? David found out that he was wrong, and what did he do? He changed. And in your life and in my life, when you find out, you say, I don't I, I don't know why you guys make a big deal about the King James Bible. Okay, maybe you don't know about it, but as soon as somebody in this building opens it up to you, opens up the NIV and shows you the verses that are missing, shows you the verses that are corrupted, shows you that the Bible you have was a wrong Bible, you know what you should do? Instead of saying, well, this is the Bible my grandma gave me. When you find out that you're wrong, you should change. When you find out that you're wrong about anything, biblically, when you find out you come to a church like this, the man of God stands up and thunders forth the Word of God and preaches the Word of God, and you find out, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know the Bible said that. I didn't know I shouldn't be carrying the ark on a, uh, on a cart. I didn't know that that was a bad idea from the Philistines. I didn't know that I was going to die. I didn't know these things, but now I do. So now I'm going to change. When you find out that you were wrong, you should change. You should repent. You should make it right. You should do the right thing. Let me give you the last statement and we'll finish up. Look at First Chronicles 15 verse 12. And said unto them. This is David speaking. This is at the end of the story. He says, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us for that we sought him not after the due order. It's not just enough to do the right thing, you need to do it the right way. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon. And and when I read this, I've got to stop and ask the question, David, where did you get this idea from? Where did you get the idea? that we should get rid of the cart and we should find the Levites and we should put poles through the rings on the bottom of the ark and they should carry it upon their shoulders and it is the Levites who are supposed to carry it and, and no one should touch it. David, where did you get this idea from? Look at verse 15. And the children of Israel, the children of the Levites, excuse me, bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon. You got to ask the question, David, where did you get this idea from? And the Bible says, As Moses commanded, don't miss it, according to the word of the Lord. When Asa died, David said, We're doing something wrong here. Let's put this thing on pause. And I don't know how it happened, but at some point, somebody walked up to David and said, Let me show you something out of Numbers chapter 4. Let me show you what the Bible says here. Moses actually commanded, and they said, well, we've got to do it according to the word of the Lord. I said, number one, it doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Make sure God agrees with you. Number two, we shouldn't be looking for new methods from the world. We should stick to the old methods from God. Number three, don't assume that God is pleased simply because you are. Number four, make sure that you not only do the right things, but that you do them the right way. Number five, it it would be better to make decisions based off the fearing of the Lord than to suffer the consequences that cause you to fear the Lord. Number six, when we find out that we are wrong, we should change. And here's point number seven we're done Here's statement number seven you will always be right when you can answer the question what does the Bible say if you're ever not sure should I marry him should I not should I divorce him should I not should I move here should I not should I go there should I not you know as you always be asking yourself this question well what does the Bible say Does the Bible speak to this issue? Are there principles in the Bible that I could follow? Because please understand something. If the story of Isaac teaches us anything, it teaches us this. That just because you are ignorant to what the Bible says does not mean that God will not hold you accountable for what the Bible says. So that's not fair. Really? That's not fair? It's not fair that God took 1,500 years, 40 different writers uh, to inspire his word, to give his word on three different continents. Over 1,500 years, he gave us the word of God and he allowed you to be born in a country where you can literally find a Bible anywhere. You can go to Dollar Tree and pay a dollar for the King James Bible and you have a Bible sitting in your house, probably multiple Bibles sitting in your house and it's God's fault that you don't read it? When he already told you how to have a good marriage. He already told you the way of salvation. He already told you how to raise your children. He already told you how to deal with your finances. This book tells you everything about life. Everything you need to know. It's there. It's not God's fault. You didn't read it, David. It's not God's fault. You didn't ask for the advice of the preacher, David. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. But let me tell you something. You will always be right when you can answer this question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Look at verse 14. We'll look at two verses. I want you to notice how the story ends. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 14. The Bible says, And David danced before the Lord. Now they're doing it right. And I wanted to show this to you because I wanted you to see there's nothing wrong with rejoicing. Nothing wrong with rejoicing. He danced before the Lord. By the way, this isn't what you do at the nightclub, okay? So somebody's going to ask a question. All right, this was a righteous dance. Honestly, to be very honest with you, I believe that this dancing of David before the Lord was very much like when you see children dancing before the Lord. You have a, a little child, a toddler child, you know children will just start springing into dance. When they start dancing and jumping around and just, you know, I think they're dancing before the Lord. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of God with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. Let me say this. There's nothing wrong with rejoicing. But you can only truly rejoice before the Lord. Are you listening to me? You can only truly rejoice before the Lord when you have done not only the right thing, but you've done it the right way. It's not enough to do the right thing. We need to make sure we do it the right way. And then, and then, we can rejoice. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.